This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, January 18th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, Bluegrass announces 50th festival lineup. Parks and Rec works on campground updates. Telluride Theater stands with Ukraine. And a mountain weather forecast. But first, Norwood lost a member of its community this week. Warren Hampton died at his Norwood home from congestive heart failure and dementia. He was 96 years old. According to the San Miguel County Coroner's Office, Hampton was a World War II veteran who served in three World War II theaters. He was a protector and provider for his family and for his best friend, the love of his life, his wife, Barbara Lee, who passed before him. Hampton was in the care of Touch of Care Hospice. Brown's Funeral Home will attend to services. Hampton is survived by his children, Warren, Lloyd, and Stacy, his five grandchildren, and his 16 great-grandchildren. A bluegrass lineup might be the only thing able to add even more stoke on a powder day. And Planet Bluegrass doesn't disappoint. On Wednesday, the festival announced its initial lineup for the 50th annual Telluride Bluegrass Festival. The semi-centennial festival will feature legends like Emmylou Harris featuring Watch House and Mary Chapin Carpenter. Telluride favorites such as the Sam Bush Band, Bela Fleck and the Flecktones, Chris Teeley, Green Sky Bluegrass, Yonder Mountain String Band, the Punch Brothers, Leftover Salmon, Peter Rowan's Bluegrass Band and the infamous String Dusters will grace the stage. The festival will also feature artists including Gregory Allen Isakoff, String Cheese Incident, Nickel Creek, Sarah Jarose, Sierra Farrell, and the 2022 Band Contest winners, Full Chord. The 50th Annual Telluride Bluegrass Festival will take place in Town Park June 15th to 18th, 2023. KOTO will be selling locals tickets for the festival on Wednesday, March 1st from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Purple House on Pine. Tickets will be available for San Miguel County residents. Bring your driver's license or utility bill. Finding lodging in Telluride for any duration of time can be a bit of a jigsaw puzzle. Down at Town Park, the Parks and Rec Department is considering a number of improvements to its campsite reservations process in the hopes of easing some of that headache. Director of Parks and Recreation Stephanie Jacquet, speaking with the Parks and Recreation Commission, says they will be trying out a new booking system for the upcoming season. Um, This new software that we're close to implementing has the ability to optimize. Uh, So think of it as a hotel room. You're, You're saying you need two beds and a basic room or whatever. They don't tell you what room you're in until you show up because they're making the Tetris game as it's been explained to us work. Uh, We would have the ability, if we wanted, to separate our campsites into different categories and um, have people sign up for a river site of a certain size. The software will look at the bookings over a given period and put the pieces together so the campsite can host the maximum number of visitors. Jacquet explains the software also allows campers to keep the same site for the duration of their stay. Um, The benefit there would be that We would try and accommodate as many people without moving, where moving was a big issue between sites during a stay. 
Um, this would be the system trying to do it on the back end. Uh, we really need to test and, and play with this. The challenge is that people aren't going to know their site until closer to arrival. Um, so how we message that for people who do return every year and really like a certain site is something that we're still weighing the pros and cons. In another new program, the campground will begin to offer a handful of its sites at most a quarter of the total capacity to small events trying to house staff and volunteers. These smaller events are having a lot of challenges uh, housing, temporarily housing their staff and volunteers for various reasons, but lodging costs being one of the, the primary factors right now. Because of those challenges, we have um, had a lot of requests for small events to have Use of a portion of the campground, um, once again, staff and volunteers, not event attendees. Event attendees can go through the online reservations and, and get a spot um, knowing that there's high demand. In order to qualify, the event will need to be located in town park and take place over multiple days. Jacquet says the idea is to provide some support and cushion for those events until longer term regional lodging solutions can be found. So there's no separate management. There's no increased capacity like there is for the large festivals. It's normal rules, but um, sites available for their internal use. And this is a pilot program, um, something that we would like to try and evaluate. And maybe the demand will decrease in future years if uh, if lodging becomes more accessible and, and other factors. In recent discussions, town council has been trying to improve festival access for locals. J.K. observes the trend of promoting local use could reach the campground as well. While the Parks and Rec Commission has no specific plans for prioritizing local and regional users of the facility, J.K. says those users are still top of mind. All these things we've talked about we really hope will improve availability um, so that more locals can access the campsites and quite a few do already but we do have a lot of um, regional use of the campground and then one other thing that we plan on improving this year is communication we have the town has a new communications manager Lindsay Mills um, and we will work with her to message locally what these opening time frames are so that locals know what's going on and can get in on the reservations in a timely manner. The Parks and Rec Commission voiced support for all the upcoming changes. Commission Chair Teddy Errico, looking over the usage statistics for town park facilities in 2022, noted a surge in racket sports seems to have come to tell you ride. I don't really have any questions. As I was just looking at the tennis pickleball court activity from 21 <laughs> to 22. It's doubled. So that's something that I think we should address eventually down the road. Errico goes on to thank the town park staff for all they do with festivals, the campground, and local programming. It's been nearly one year since Russia invaded Ukraine. In that time, countless lives have been lost and turned upside down. While thoughts may jump to frontline resources like food, water, clothing, and shelter, this week, Telluride Theater is looking to support the artists of Ukraine. Theater is a tool for oppressed countries to sort of be the news givers of what's actually really happening. You need your practical things to live and breathe, but I would say art is lifeblood. That's Sasha Cuccinello, artistic director for Telluride Theater, and Mary Higgins, director of Telluride Theater's Ukrainian play Reading. When troops were stationed on the borders, I did not believe a full-scale war would begin. That is, I hoped it would not begin. 
In my opinion, February 22, 2022, and February 23, 22 were the dangerous days. The theater is partnering with the Center for International Theater Development to host a worldwide Ukrainian play reading. The reading will be a fundraiser for the development's Ukraine Hope Initiative, helping to fund playwrights in the country. When the war began, uh, they sort of... um, put boots on the ground of like, how can we support the theater artists who are um, leaving the Ukraine and how do we support the theater artists that are still in the Ukraine? The project has helped fund artists to write new works of their experience through the war. Those short plays and monologues have then been translated into different languages and performed in over 20 countries around the world. In Telluride, members of the theater's ensemble, in addition to a number of members of the community, will perform a staged reading of several of the plays as a way to highlight and acknowledge the experiences of those living through war. Hopefully it will give people some insight to um, what life has been like during wartime for people in Ukraine um, in a format that... um, also celebrates human connection experience and artistic expression. Higgins says she hopes the reading allows the community to get a personal sense of those in Ukraine. I think what is most interesting about having play readings from people versus, you know, watching the news or um, listening to different reports about what's going on is it's it's personal. Um, It's war is such a personal and tragic thing for those who that experience it. And everyone's collective you know, memories might have similar colors to it, but the individual experiences are so different. So one person's, you know, um, moment that might stick out to them is wildly different from someone else's. The tone of how one event unfolded can be separate. I will never tell you about it, and don't you tell me. I saw struggling up from beneath the soil. We push with our feet, we scratch it with our hands, a nail breaks. I don't know if it's yours or mine. Our hands are interwoven like the branches of a tree. We are deep beneath the earth, but it is easy to come up from under it. The Ukrainian play reading will take place at the Wilkinson Public Library on Thursday, January 19th at 5.30 p.m. A hat will be passed for donations to the Ukraine Hope Initiative. Your house like a dog again and my memory goes blank. Just don't tell anyone and I won't tell you. Once again, my second sneaker is on my foot. With our backpacks behind us, we back away from a checkpoint marked with the letter Z. You know, just don't tell anyone, and I won't tell them. They killed us. Just don't tell anyone, and I won't tell you we're alive. Heavy snow and avalanche conditions have closed roads across the San Juans. On Wednesday, an avalanche blocked Ofer Road and caused power outages in the town of Ofer. San Miguel Power restored most power to the town by Wednesday afternoon, Remaining mitigation will continue on Thursday. The road itself is unlikely to reopen until Thursday afternoon. Additionally, Lizard Head Pass was closed on Tuesday and Wednesday for winter maintenance between Rico and Trout Lake. Despite hazardous driving conditions, the road has since been reopened. The Colorado Department of Transportation is urging all drivers to plan ahead, allow extra time, and be very careful while driving in the region. A community dance will be held next week at the library, but this is no small-town square dance with a string band and choreographed stepping. Instead, dancers will be encouraged to improvise and find pleasure in playful and intuitive movement. Led by dance duo Noah and Pixie, the evening is all about feeling good and meeting your body wherever it is. 
Details are available at telluridelibrary.org. The dance will take place on Wednesday, January 25th from 5 to 7 p.m. Various organizations working to promote environmental stewardship across the San Juans are teaming up to offer another environmental happy hour next week. The Sheep Mountain Alliance Eco Action Partners and the San Miguel Watershed Coalition will be at Stronghouse on Wednesday, January 25th from 5 to 6.30 p.m. to answer questions and discuss current projects. Register now at sheepmountainalliance.org. Governor Jared Polis gave his annual State of the State address on Tuesday. KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods reports two major focuses of the speech were housing and taxes. Governor Polis said he wants to make Colorado accessible and affordable for people from all walks of life. Central to that goal is addressing the housing crisis, which Polis says is intertwined with a host of other issues. Let me be clear. Housing policy is climate policy. Housing policy is transportation policy. Housing policy is economic policy. Housing policy is water policy. And housing pol policy is public health and equity policy. He wants to create more housing as soon as possible in a way that reduces urban sprawl. Another priority is cutting taxes. Polis touted his administration's past work lowering property and income taxes and said he wants to cut them further. Other areas he focused on include water management, renewable energy, health care costs, education, and public safety. He also called on lawmakers to strengthen Colorado's red flag gun laws, but stopped short of pushing for new gun legislation. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods at the state capitol. A restored historic print and design studio in Mancus in southwest Colorado is hoping to break ground this spring on a huge expansion that will triple its workshop capacity, but will also help address housing shortages in the community. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KSJD's Chris Clements has more. So what I'm doing is I'm operating the Chandler Price Platinum Press, and this press prints with sort of a clamshell motion, so your form, which would be your type and your imagery, um, gets compressed against your paper, kind of like a clamshell um, closing on itself. That voice is Rosie Carter, the shop manager at the Mancus Common Press in historic downtown Mancus. The press used to be the home of the Mancus Times, which began printing in 1911 and ceased production in 1970. In 2013, with the help of funding from the Ballantine Family Fund, the University of Pennsylvania, and the Colorado State Historical Fund, the press was restored as an educational print studio and run by a dedicated group of community members. I mean, these presses are like, they're, they're a little bit magical. People come in here and just the mechanics of it and the old, it's a little bit steampunk in here, all this old equipment. People really, it's amazing to see people's eyes just like grow wide when they see all the stuff in here. The press boasts a dazzling collection of artwork created by local artists right there in the shop. In one corner of the art space, there's a print of wildflowers done by artist Cynthia Sadler. In another, there's a small-scale model made out of wood that hints at the future Carter and others involved in the press hope will soon come to fruition. 
It's a rendering of the Mancus Commons, an almost 4,000 square foot, two-story mixed-use development including three single-bedroom affordable housing units, a large workshop space for the common press, as well as some retail and office space. So um, what our intention is that it would be workforce housing. So whether that's artists, school teachers, um, any other folks that in the service sector that are having a really hard time um, affording um, housing right now, um, rental housing in, in the market. That's Tammy Graham, president of the Mancus Common Press Board. Like many other towns in Colorado, Mancus is struggling to provide affordable housing for its residents, something Graham says everyone in Mancus should be concerned about. We're risking losing our, let's see, let me, how would I put this? We're risking losing access to average folks who work and function in our community. And without projects like this one, we won't continue to have a core of a workforce in our communities that is what makes up our communities, among other things. I mean, it's the the richness of a community is having um, a wide spectrum of community members living and working in, in our communities. The concern over that potential loss of community diversity is shared by Heather Alvarez, Mancus's town administrator. From the community side, um, housing in Mancus is impossible to find, um, especially rental units. When you can find them, many times our people that are working locally are priced out of the market um, because we are seeing more um, people from outside of town moving into town. The average home price in Mancus, according to Zillow, is about $479,000, compared to the median home price nationally, about $348,000. For Carter, it's not just about housing, it's about keeping Mancus a diverse and vibrant community. And when things get too expensive, that means a whole big group of people can't afford to stay, which just makes places less diverse less interesting, in my opinion, <laughs> um, and really, you know, less uh, less caring, really, in a way, if we can't figure out ways to, to uh, affordably house people, feed people, take care of people. So I think it's really important what the press is up to with the project. Though the project is still actively raising money, the Mancus Commons is expected to break ground in May or June of this year. For KSJD, I'm Chris Clements. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly cloudy skies tonight with scattered snow showers and a low around 5 degrees. Thursday should be partly sunny during the day with a chance of snow showers at night. The high is near 30 degrees with a low around 10. Friday expects snow showers with a high in the mid-20s. Friday night calls for mostly cloudy skies with a chance of snow showers and a low around 5 degrees. This has been the news for Wednesday, January 18th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Come sing with the Telluride Choral Society for the upcoming March Spring Sing Concerts. Our first rehearsal starts on Sunday, January 22nd at 4 o'clock at Christ Church. And weekly Sunday rehearsals will continue until concert times in March.
No experience is necessary, and all singers are welcome. The concert theme for spring is Joyful Sound, and our artistic director, Hal Adler, is very excited about the music choices. So we invite you to join us for our spring music season. Hope to see you on January 22nd. Just come and check us out. Call Sandy McLaughlin if you have any more questions, and her number is 970-519-0081. She's our board president. And this is Ginny Fraser, and thank you, Kodo. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Kodo. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues. 